Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hi. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 12, which is titled Happy New Year. The episode aired on January 5th, 1995. Yay, welcome to 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Well, December, we took a three, two or three week break from, or ER took a three week break. So we've kind of got a little bit of history fun to play with here. December 23rd, notorious gangster Whitey Bulger fl- flees Boston to avoid persecution. Prosecution or persecution? Prosecution. 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 And he eludes FBI capture until 2011, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Not going to lie. Dumb and Dumber is the number one movie at the box office for the third straight week. We brought in 1995 with class. And <laughs> On Bended Knee regains the top song title after a two-week break <laughs> because there is no justice in this world and I will never get to say that a song not done by boys to men has been number one. Lord, save me. <laughs> this episode was directed by Charles Hayde and written by Lydia Woodward. Uh, this is the second episode that Charles Hayde has directed, uh, second of seven. First one was Into That Good Night. If you want to learn more about Mr. Hayde, you can give that episode a listen. You know, it's also just a great episode to revisit of ER. So, and hopefully our show. We hope you like that episode of our show. I liked it. And we're starting the new year off with uh, 30.4 million viewers for this week's episode, a new high point. Uh, this is not the high point for the season. We're, we've still got a few few more million viewers, if you can believe it or not, uh, for an upcoming episode. I forget exactly where in it's close to the end of the season though we're going to top out around 35 million viewers which is just insane to think about yeah but we jump right in this week with uh somebody running through the streets we're not quite sure who it is right away but it ends up being carter this is a very like almost like law and order kind of way to start an episode like very dark i noticed kind of the episode as a whole is lit very darkly but you hear sirens in the background, Carter shoving people aside as he comes into the ER, and he goes in and grabs uh, Dr. Green out of the lounge because there's a guy with a gunshot wound out in the street, blood everywhere, and we follow them out, uh, wheeling a gurney out into the street to uh, help this dude, and he does not look good. Yeah, and I noticed here that when they go to grab him, it looks like he's like pinned between the two cars almost when mm-hmm. they pick him He's like up. propped up. So it's like, did somebody just leave him there? Did he fall there? How did this man end up in such a strange position outside the ER? So they bring him in, and Connie tells Bob to dial 432 and say help, which is because this guy's a gangbanger, and they want to make sure they have proper security in case somebody tries to come finish the job. And Bob's like, what? What's a gangbanger? Just being precious Bob. And then Mark, fun goof here that I have to give Lizzie props for noticing. I missed this. Mark tells Lydia to clear trauma one, and then they proceed to go into trauma two. Ooh, good catch. And Mark coldly says, in the winter, I wish they'd dump the bodies inside. There's a lot of that in this episode. Like, there's a lot of, like, very medical profession nihilism. Like, there's lots of just, like, people don't matter and emotions are stupid. And, like, it's, it's a very cold episode. Well, it is, you know, the beginning of January in Chicago, so it's very it's, it's very cold physically and emotionally. Yeah, we're done with it already, and it hasn't even really dipped below five yet. I know, it's not even Christmas by the time 
we're recording this and it's still like i'm done i'm over it it's even warmer than it was last year and i'm still i'm over it not fun but um yeah so then as they're taking the guy into trauma 2 um and getting him all set up connie pulls a gun and a knife off of him i don't really know what else we see from this guy but it's just kind of a very dynamic way to get the episode going. Well, we see Carter intimate him. Ah, uh, yes, very true. We see uh, Mark having uh, Carter actually, you know, be more of a teacher to Carter than Benton has been in recent episodes. Yeah, Carter's actually, like, motivated and actually, like, encouraged to take on something new. And, you know, Mark is like, you must have seen about 50 of these by now, so obviously you can do it. And Carter did it. <laughs> Because, you know, he's awesome and Carter. Um, and, you know, it's Baby's first innovation. So proud. We're very, we're so very, very proud of him. First of many that we'll see from him uh, going forward. And Benton, finally, they finally get Benton down there to take, we wheel the guy up to surgery. Because, you know, been shot, bleeding, probably needs some bullets removed or some other stuff repaired. We'll find out the fate of this gentleman later in the episode. But Carter gives a point-perfect history on the guy to Benton and follows that up with a couple of a couple of really great things by, you know, asking if he can just go upstairs and even even just observe in the operating room. Not even do anything. Just wants to observe. And Benton still being kind of an asshole at this point still just says no. And I throw out the term gatekeeping motherfucker. In reference to this, in reference to Benton. Yeah, there's a lot of moments in this episode where Carter really starts to stand up and advocate for himself, which I really appreciated. Thank you. That was mm-hmm. the vibe I was going for. I couldn't quite articulate it. But... I got you. And then, the credits. We are bangs ten to one. Oh, Daniel, how great it will be for you <laughs> when the twinkles come in and you can rub it in my face. Oh, I'm going to be just miserable when that happens. I'm just going to be insufferable. I will allow you five minutes of gloating when it happens, <laughs> but for now, bangs are still clear in the lead, 10 to 1. We have not seen another twinkle. That's fine. You know, slow and steady wins the race. So we come out of the, the theme with Hicks talking to uh, Green uh, with the line of the episode, isn't it comforting to know that 1995 isn't going to be any different than 1994 and how true that is. And then we get our first of two kind of really gross and insensitive uh i don't know what you call it like terms for patients uh we get dead shovel which is Ugh. their code name for fat man shoveling snow it's like god that, like i said this this whole episode is just like medical profession nihilism like they just don't I, I know there's a certain amount of like emotional numbing that has to occur if you're going to work in the medical field you can't let your emotions get the best of you for very practical reasons but man they lay it on thick in this episode and then after that, we have a little fun, uh, our first audio clip of the episode, something a little more fun. Lydia has stopped smoking, and Bob is giving her some encouragement, so let's give that a listen. <laughs> you can do it. I can do it. Just swing on. You want to hang on? I, I, I can't do it, Bob. I, I can't do it. Yes, yes, you can. Are you okay? New Year's Revolution. Resolution. I quit smoking. She had a mental. Menthols don't count. <laughs> My news resolution was to quit doing scout work after I take these urine specimens to the lab. He failed. Why can't I? Is Dr. Ben back from surgery yet? Been and gone. Thank you. 
I do enjoy the little subplot of Lydia trying to quit smoking this episode. I think that's, I, I like when they try to flesh out the minor characters a little bit more. I mean, it is no fucking joke to quit smoking. I have been there multiple times and done that multiple times. And I will say, fuck that multiple times. And then we get the next insensitive patient reference for the episode, which is a freeze-dried, which is a homeless person with frostbite or cold damage. Yikes. And then we see Susan trying to get Kaysen's attention, which is strange because we haven't seen them interact in a while, and why in God's name would Susan want to talk to Kaysen? And we find out that her patient, Mrs. Davis, needs Kaysen's review before being released. Yeah, Mrs. Davis, who... So I watch these with the subtitles on, too, because it helps with getting character names. Verbally, she's referred to as Miss Davis, but in the captions, she's referred to as Miss Davies. And it's the same on IMDb, so I'm not sure which one is correct. But she's played by Anna Sullivan, who is mostly kind of unremarkable. She is the queen, I will say, of one-offs in like uh particularly law and order she's been on uh, all the different law and order like incarnations at playing five different characters across multiple law and order series um going back to like i think 2001 was when she started appearing oh wow in law and order yeah hmm. so she's all over that show she also had a bit role in um speed the keanu reeves bus movie so Whoa. yeah some fun facts for you today And then going along with that theme of Carter, you know, finally sort of stepping up for himself and self-advocating, we get this interaction between him and Dr. Benton. Bowel disimpaction in one. That was surgery. Which surgery? The gang kid from this morning. He died 10 minutes in. You know, this is supposed to be my surgical rotation. Your ER surgical rotation. I haven't stepped foot in an OR yet. And? I always treat your students like this. Like what? Dr. Benton, I hate to complain, but all I do for you is your scout work. Yeah, well, that's what I did for my surgical resident. It's what we all did, and it's what you will continue to do until you can do it in your sleep. Look, you are a medical student. You're here to make my life easy. Yeah, I'm also here to learn. And have you? Learned? Glove up and dig in. And don't take all day. First off, gross. Second off. Yeah, tell tell the lovely listeners what Carter's being asked to do. Uh, he's in being case asked, they missed it. He's being asked to stick his stick his t- finger and or multiple fingers up someone's butt and uh, you know, relieve them for a bowel disimpactment, I think is what they call yeah, it. Yeah, bowel disimpaction. Yeah. And you know, relieve them of that pressure. I will leave the rest to your imagination. I just ate dinner. Point is Carter's getting sick of it. Yeah. And secondly, fuck off, Benton, with all that, oh, we did, this is the way we did it when I was in medical school, and this is, and this is the way, so that means that's the way you're gonna do it. Fucking shit like that pisses me off to no end. Just like, oh, it's always been done this way, so clearly that's the best way. Like, or it didn't damage me, so you'll be fine. Exactly. Fuck off out of here with that shit, so. Minor rant, sorry. <laughs> That's what the show is here for. True. So then we go over to check on the frostbite patient that had come in, and his name is Mr. McCabe, and we're just watching Susan and Mark go up and down this guy's feet, like poking and prodding him, trying to see if he has any sensation. And the whole time he's just like, don't touch my bag, don't touch my clothes, I want, like... Don't let any bonehead walk away with my clothes. I need those clothes with me when you wheel me around. Like, just really curmudgeonly. And he's like, of course my legs are fine. They're just a little cold. 
or a little stumpy or whatever like isn't he also the the one too that is kind of racist like doesn't he say something to hicks on the way in like it could be i feel like that was i feel like that was when he was first brought in when uh she had the line with mark about 94 or 95 not being any different than 94 yeah Yeah. okay i'm sorry we forgot to write that down yeah he says something kind of it might not even have been kind of i think it was pretty blatantly racist actually but uh mr mccabe is played by keen curtis only things on his imdb that stood out to me um is a movie called heaven can wait and he also appeared in stargate sg1 and i think he has also since passed away um so yeah mr mccabe we need a death jingle (laughs) keep a counter on all the uh minor character deaths yeah so then after poking and prodding him and telling him that they're going to take him to a whirlpool bath because they have to warm the cells up quickly and safely, we then switch over to Kaysen signing the release for Miss Davies and going, you know, next time Dr. Lewis, try harder. Your patient was in there far too long and, like, just completely disregarding anything she has to say on the matter. Like, I was trying to give you a thorough history. I couldn't find you. You were up in a consult. You were out to lunch. Like... Giving all the He's reasons. He's such a cunt. Yes, he yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say, have I mentioned that Dr. Kaysen is easily one of my least favorite characters on this entire TV series? Well, because now, Dr. Kaysen is one of my least favorite characters in this entire fucking TV series. Now that we don't have Dr. Dickhead to shit all over, we've got to switch our hatred say, to Dr. Kaysen. I felt, I sort of just felt bad, bad for, for Div. Div at the end there. But like, yeah. Kaysen, okay. He's, he has his like irony moment later on. He's and just an asshole. But he then just goes back to being an, exactly an asshole, except, you know, instead of being with Lewis or Carter or whoever, it's with Pratt and Morris. Like, okay, cool. I don't know. I hate him. I think he's completely unnecessary. He's kind of been positioned to fill the div void a little bit in a different way. Like, he's, it's obviously not the romantic, um, you know, angle with Lewis, but he's still kind of playing that lewis antagonist thing of just like now it's more of like a you know principal or a fatherly type of thing of like he's just always putting her down and always you know underestimating her and he's just i don't know like he doesn't have the depth or the int- the intrigue of div like he doesn't have that like bubbling chaos under the surface he's just kind of there but well, you say he's trying to fill like the div role but div was never really like malicious towards susan though he was at the very beginning. Remember how pissed we were when we found out they were sleeping together because he was such a historic prick to her that episode. Like he was like doing the same sorts of things that Kaysen's doing now. Yeah, but the thing is, like he moved on from that very quickly, whereas Kaysen's just an asshole to everybody all the time. Well, yeah, they moved on from that very quickly because they started fucking. And why I hate him so much? Like, that's yeah. that's a that's a road they're never gonna go down with Kaysen, and so that's Ew. why I think Kaysen stays insufferable. Yeah. So clearly the answer to any curmudgeon character on this TV series is just just have sex with Dr. Lewis. All right. Sweet. Problem solved, at least until season three. There we um, go. So, <laughs> so... I'm keeping my inappropriate comment to myself. No, please vent. Nope, I'm good because okay. I don't want it on record. <laughs> okay. Chloe's back. Uh, she's She's shown up 
back at the hospital, despite Susan telling her not to do that anymore. Uh, she's at the hospital to tell Susan that she's moving to Texas with Ronnie, whoever the fuck that is. I don't think Woo. we've ever actually met Ronnie. I'd I think that's the guy from the Thanksgiving episode. No, he's a one and done. He's gone. Oh, okay. Like he, I don't remember what his name is, but he's a one and done, and we never see him again. So I don't, I don't know that we've ever actually met Ronnie. But uh, so they go over to uh, the diner across the street to talk about things, and Lewis asks her, "What are you gonna do? Learn, <laughs> learn how to cook chili?" Is Chloe's response. We should also make note: Chloe is smoking the entire time here, and it, no attention is ever drawn to it. But she's also pregnant. Like, come on, dude. Nineties. Yeah. Like you would think even Lewis would admonish her for it a little bit. Cause even if it wasn't like publicly kind of, you know, in the consciousness not to do that, you would think as a doctor, Lewis would be like, you know, you shouldn't do that. Right. I think Lewis has given up on giving Chloe that, yeah. sort of. Yeah. I think that's why she kind of just sort of like, is just like, Oh great. She's doing this thing and doesn't really like, you know, tries to talk her out of it. But then also at the same time, it's just like, uh, fine, whatever. I get yeah. that. I get that vibe through for from Susan throughout the entire time that they're talking. Yeah, she's very defeated here. You know, she's and Chloe's saying, you know, you don't even want me to have this baby. And Susan suggests, you know, why don't you stay here and stay with mom and dad? And she says, I don't want to stay with people that always think I'm doing the wrong thing. Which maybe because you're always doing the wrong thing. I don't know. But uh, you know, Lewis just looks devastated. She just looks like she's somebody's killed her puppy and so she mm-hmm. she does the only thing she can think of in that moment to kind of help or contribute and gives chloe her coat because chloe doesn't even have a winter coat and uh i was gonna say which i can't even tell like if that's like tr- her trying to make a joke or something like going to texas and she doesn't even have a winter coat i don't think that was her trying to make a joke i think she was looking at her like oh my god you're in the middle of chicago right now and you don't even have a winter coat like, okay i because like the way the, the the conversation flew from was flowing from that point it just seemed yeah. like it seemed like it was almost her being like oh hey you're going to texas guess, guess you're gonna need a winter coat that's kind of how i took it but i could see it either way yeah yeah so we finish off with them um this next bit i'm not sure if timeline wise if this happens right after susan comes back from talking with chloe or if it's just before but i wanted to throw it in here anyway i noticed that uh timmy is back the desk clerk um which is yeah timmy is a sporadic appearance through the first season and then he goes away for a while um and he does come back later on but what i wanted to highlight here is a phenomenon that I found kind of interesting throughout the run of the show is that some of these minor characters, your Jerry's, your Timmy's, your um, later on in the series, we get Randy, the desk clerk. Um, you know, there there were these side characters, particularly desk clerks and background nurse characters who would just disappear like this for five, six episodes at a time and then come back and there'd never be anything about it. And I don't know if it was intentional on the part of the writers or not, but it really makes it feel like a real hospital. Like there's having, you know, kind of watched hospital work from afar through my wife. People do like go on night shift for three months and you just uh, somebody that you worked with every single day for, you know, months at a time. Now they're on night shift and you just don't see each other for 
for two or three months. You work in the same building in the same department, but you're just on opposite schedules and you just never see each other. And I feel like that's kind of what we see here is where characters just kind of disappear for a while and we're just sort of left thinking, oh, I guess they're on another shift or whatever. And then they come back and it's like they never missed a beat. And like I, said, I don't know if that's intentional on their part, but I do think it contributes to the feeling of a real living, breathing hospital. And I think that's cool. Yeah, I don't think we see Jerry at all this episode. If we do, it's very briefly. And but yeah, I don't think it. I, I don't think we do at all. Well, I'm just gonna accept the headcanon that they're all on switcher on their shifts all the time, and that's why they have different clerks and things all the time. Because I like that. That's actually a really good sort of in quote unquote universe way to look at that. But after that, we have oh boy, everyone's favorite kind of trauma patient. The burn victim. Ugh. Exactly. We, uh, we were watching this with a friend last night, and when this guy got revealed, we both audibly went, <laughs> Just like that exact noise. Our friend looked over and was like, what? What's wrong? Yeah, but it's it's kind of subtle at first. Like, if you aren't really, like, looking at it, because, like, the dude's, like, has no shirt on. Um, he's a fireman. So he has no shirt on, and his shirt and like his chest and arms and everything are completely fine, but his face is charred, and like you don't see it right away, and it's just like, uh oh, 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 okay. When We're... they move that machine, and all of a sudden they show his face, and you're yeah, like, yeah, it's oh. not even like focused on, but it's just like intentionally, like, probably like out of focus. It was like, pretty focused. I don't know. I thought like. It felt like the way it, the the people like all the action was happening towards the lower part of his body because they were looking at his legs, because it was his face and it was his legs that got the worst of it. They had third degree full thickness burns, which, ow. Well, I just mean that literal reveal shot is very clearly focused on his yeah. face because they want that impact. Maybe I just sort of deleted it from my brain. You might have done I that. Fucking ugh. Point is that that makeup work is damn good. Yes. So yeah, and a bunch of firefighters are also watching while he's being treated by the good folks of the ER. Some nice camaraderie going on there. We, we don't really hear what happened. We just see it was like a big accident. And yeah, they're all just watching their comrade and hoping that he's okay. And Yeah, that's one that, barring a miracle, he's not going to make it. Like I feel like I remember watching this one with Jen first run. And I remember her saying, like, Jen also used to be a volunteer firefighter too. So like she has some experience with all this stuff and, and i remember watching this one with her and she was like no he's dead like there's no way he'd be he would recover in any sort of meaningful way is there anything your wife can't do uh laundry cleaning uh <laughs> fortunately i do all of those things so it works I out great dare you to leave that in and see how quick jen calls us and yells at us leave it in it'll be six months to a year before she ever listens to these if ever all right, so... Famous last words, Daniel. So, hello, future Jen. And, yes, that is your husband being an asshole on, <laughs> on podcast. No, I'm not being an asshole. It's it's balance. We got, you know, we are we have 21st century gender roles. I do all the cooking and the cleaning. She goes and makes all the money. It's great. So, we then go and we get our first appearance of Jackie, who is Walt's wife and Benton's sister. And they are right across the street from the Wrigley Building, which is right on the bus route that I take to work every day. It is also maybe 60 feet from where we saw Mark and Doug having their chat in episode two. So they're just picking the same, like, they're just like, okay, Michigan Avenue is Chicago. Great. Problem solved. All of these like clear location shots we've seen have been somewhere on Michigan Avenue. So, so far. 
I mean, it's not a bad place to establish, hey, this is Chicago. It's really pretty. And Jackie's played by Candy Alexander, who, if uh, you're like me and you were a big fan of News Radio, the uh, 90s sitcom uh, starring Phil Hartman and Dave Foley and uh, Maura Tierney, who we're going to see a few seasons from now, Candy Alexander was... uh, she was on that show for I think the entire run and she's going to be with us here. Um, I think at least for the entirety of Benton's run. Like, I think she's, I think she's going to be around until Benton leaves. Yep. And they're talking and talking about mama Benton and just Jackie's just like, you know, it's bad. You know, we can't really keep watching her. We can't ask the kids to watch her. You know, we found a great place to put her in where she'll, where she'll be taken care of. They want to, you know, they want to put her in a home, but they want to put her in a nice home. And Benton's like, I can't let you do that. I can't put my mom in a home. And she just goes, where the hell have you been the past six years while Walt and I worried about it? And Benton again is just like, I can't put her in a home. And Jackie goes, well, you won't have to. It's our decision. <laughs> and siblings talking about placing a parent in a home, just that gets to be a real tense decision if everybody's not on the same page. Like, I've been there. And I'm so grateful that my sister and I and our extended family were all looking out for my dad when he got sick. Because I can't even imagine how stressful and divisive it would be if you didn't agree on what to do for your loved one. And then we pop back over to the firefighter burn victim. You know, I think we neglected to mention that Mark is treating the firefighter, you know, and all of his, all of the other firefighters are like, you know, is it going to be okay? Like, they're all kind of still in shock. And, you know, Mark is just very calmly just says, you know, I'll know a lot more in 12 hours. So see where any infections or anything might develop, which is I'm assuming what happens with stuff like that. But depending on how well the debridement works and just everything else and how he's stabilized from shock and from the trauma. Yeah. Then after Mark, after Mark has a little, that little talk with, the firefighters uh we get carter coming up to him and we have a clip of that interaction so here you go uh, dr green can i talk to you for a second yeah can you your pen uh i don't know if this is appropriate i'm just not sure that dr benton's all that interested in supervising me anymore in fact i'm fairly certain that he's not it's a warm fuzzy demeanor it's not getting through to you <laughs> Yes, that would be accurate. When I was in medical school, I had a ton of residents like Benton. Matter of fact, I think Benton had a ton of residents like Benton. He's not the worst one you're going to get. My advice? Get used to it. Uh, I just, I don't know how to feel about that whole thing. Yeah, it's another kind of, going back to last episode where he was sort of, Green was sort of encouraging Doug's shittiness here. Like, it's another sort of, like, opportunity for Green to be better and he just sort of takes the opportunity he doesn't grab hold of the opportunity and he just sort of like lets the shittiness perpetuate you know it's it's he's better than that yeah it's the same thing like i was saying before like mark is kind of going along with the like oh that's the way we did it so better toughen up buttercup type of mentality that the just it just feels very toxic feels very toxic masculinity in its own way and Maybe not that. It just feels very. It's out of character for Mark. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of. I couldn't think of how to phrase it. Thank you. And again, it just brings me back to the whole like, the whole thing where. 
somebody's like, well, I did it this way and I turned out fine. And it's like, well, maybe you didn't. Like, maybe there is a better way to do this. Yeah, like, Benton's a real asshole. So maybe, maybe it's not the best to do things the way that he did them. Oh, and Daniel, I noticed this next shot where we cut to the firefighter sitting in the the phone room. It's the phone yeah. room you were talking about a few episodes ago. It does exist. The phone I forgot booth that it has was, arrived. I forgot that it wasn't like a phone booth, but that it was like a literal hole in the wall with a door. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. also a phone in there. Like a closet. Yeah, so that's kind of where our next interaction takes place. Uh, one of the young firefighters is kind of shell-shocked almost, uh, and he's kind of cordoned himself off in the little phone room, uh, and Carol goes over to talk to him. Um, so this guy, this is by far my stupidest IMDb entry in this whole episode. <laughs> All right. He's played by a guy named Derek Stephen Prince, and his only credit that I had ever heard of, <laughs> other than this, uh, was that he was the like second tier villain in the shitty power rangers movie so they make the like regular power rangers movie and i think about this time like 94 95 um and then like two or three years later they came out with power rangers turbo which was a second variation i guess on the tv show and then they made a second theatrical release movie it is so much worse and the first one wasn't a masterpiece by any stretch to begin with, but the second one is so much worse and the villains are so terrible, but he is, uh, one of those villains. So that's his oh, claim to that fame. guy. Okay. Sorry. I just looked it up. I was like, wait, that sounds really familiar. Okay. That guy. Yeah. He's kind of like, if you watched OG power Rangers, there was Rita and then there was Goldar. He's sort of the Goldar of the turbo series. And so, yeah, yeah he's, Except I, I just, way dumber. Yeah. So I guess in voice only, uh, he he voices that character. That's the only other thing he's done that I've ever even heard of. Uh, but in this episode, he is, like I said, pretty shell-shocked. Says he's never seen anything like that, that he's only been on the job three weeks. And he's kind of questioning whether or not he should even be doing this, meaning being a firefighter. And Carol just, you know, being nurturing mom, Carol, tells him that he should go home and get some sleep. So... And I think that's the last we see of him. I don't think we ever see him come back, so. Yeah, they don't really do a follow-up with him. And then we get, Susan's got another cardiac patient come in, and she has to get another clearance from Kaysen once she gets this guy taken care of. Yes, uh, and this is her other cardiac patient for the episode, Mr. Venerbeck, who is played by Michael Monks, who, again, weird, weird IMDb's for these bit actors. Um, his two big credits are the Garfield movie, and uh, end of watch the uh, I think it's Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena uh, cop movie from a few years back. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, so those are his two big credits. Neither one really, obviously Garfield movie I did not see, but uh, I saw end of watch. I don't remember this guy, but uh, yeah, those are his two big credits. Bill Murray's one regret. So Carol then shows up and grabs Carter to go get an MVA, which is motor vehicle accident, off the helicopter pad because Benton has been out getting coffee with Jackie. And Carter's so excited, he like starts to run upstairs, and then she goes, Carter, you need a coat. It's 35 degrees outside. He's like, oh, right. Runs back to his locker, grabs his coat, and Benton's there in time to help. And he's like, oh, fuck. So they both grab their coats and run upstairs. Looks like they're still using the, hames, this, 
looks like they're still using the same helipad location as last time. And um, Carter jumps in to intubate between when they get the guy back downstairs. Carter jumps in to intubate before Mark or Benton can. And he really takes charge and calls the shots to get the intubation done. Really just wanting to show off kind of that he has learned. And he looks super confident while he's doing this. And then, like, while he's calling the shots and just, like, being like, should we do this? Let's do this next. Benton is just making this face about Carter's performance. And it rubs me the wrong way. Like, I get that he's kind of like, oh, look at this guy. But it just, it comes across as really rude. It seems very condescending. Yes. But then, after an excellent performance with this patient and getting him ready to go upstairs... Uh, Carter gets invited to go to a gallbladder surgery at 8 with Morgan Stern and Benton. So he has to scrub in at 7.30. He's getting his shot. Finally. He stepped up, acted like an adult, acted like a professional, knew what he was doing, and he's getting treated as such. And then, poor Susan. We go back to Susan and Kaysen again. She's reviewed, um, Mr. Vanderbeck's case doesn't see anything wrong with him all his stats have come back normal all his tests have come back normal the only thing he's had in his history was a slight backache a few months ago that he was that was diagnosed as musculoskeletal and sent home with an anti-inflammatory like nothing's wrong with this guy that she can find so she lets Kaysen know and he's like all right why are you still holding him get him out of here yeah and notably actually that back injury becomes like the linchpin of the later events of the episode and she tries to tell him, but he cuts her off. And it's like, yeah, 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 get to the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I gotta go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's barely even able to get an, a word in edgewise and gets cut off several times. So she tried to. She started to, but then... He's like, that's not relevant. I don't need his whole history. Just what's wrong with him. Exactly. Yeah, and then after that, Susan keeps walking and uh, Hicks comes around and... Uh, and, you know, just has a little chat with Susan, just about different, uh, say, expectations and, you know, just getting patient approval and, you know, and how it's not really important for Susan to, like, please everyone all the time. Like, Susan seems like she's really bogged down in trying to please everyone, both the residents and the attendings and the patients and... Constantly apologizing for everything. Yeah. But Dr. Hicks, you know, drops the line, you know, we're a busy hospital, not a restaurant. Like, hopefully you're not pissing off everyone that comes to the doors, but shit's going to happen. We can't wait on everyone all the time and, like, cater to their every, their every little need and every little desire while they're there. Like, you do what you can for them and you get them out as soon as you can. And sometimes that's ours, and that's going to happen, and they're not going to be happy about it, but you do what you can. So, yeah, from there we go, uh, we've got a 19-year-old coming in pregnant and fully in labor, and I don't know if they establish right away that she's a drug addict, but it's pretty clear right away based on her kind of behavior, but... The character's name is Tarita. Uh, she's played by Kelly Schmidt, who has the most unremarkable IMDb of any side character in this episode. She had nothing that I could even, like, kind of pretend to make a big deal about. But they test... Uh, see, and the, my problem with this is I don't know... They definitely, I don't think, could get a talk screen result back that quickly. So I think they just ask 
what she's on and she tells them that it's pills and cocaine but i don't even remember if that's made perfectly clear so the establishment of how they figure out what she's on is a little bit fuzzy but she's fully going to deliver there's no stopping this baby um the baby's coming out feet first which is not great that's what i tried to do yeah so and it's also blue so also not great yeah umbilical cord is prolapsed they're going to be delivering this baby in the er uh hicks comes in and kind of walks green through it it's it's not great but that's the last we see of her as far as i know and then sadly we go to another trauma room or another trauma where an old couple is being brought in together both of them are unconscious their neighbor is with them asking if they're okay she called a wellness check because their cat had been scratching at the door and nobody was answering or anything and you know she was worried about them because she said they're like her grandparents she's known them forever and mark was like okay well you know do they use any space heaters and she goes yeah but they're the kind with the little lamps not gasoline but we find out they're using kerosene space heaters in a small apartment and it turns out that they've got carbon monoxide poisoning so it's like hope fingers crossed that they can you know get them taken care of get them detoxed and get them okay but that's where we leave them is finding out that they've got severe carbon monoxide poisoning from using these little kerosene space heaters so not great no guys please be careful when you're using heaters be well ventilated use electric if possible like be careful follow instructions don't hurt yourselves and we swap back over to the 19 year old and her baby baby has been successfully delivered comes out crying thank goodness like baby's healthy um and as far as like fake newborns go this one was not as bad or as rubbery as the ones we've seen before for uh, <laughs> for a newborn that they're working on up that props budget like, yep so yeah baby's okay mom is all right for the moment but that's where we leave the two of them and hey guess who's back mr venderbeck was discharged and now he has returned. Uh, looks like he's having a bit of a heart attack there. And yeah, his wife is there and she is just sort of hysterical. And she's like, you know, why did you let him go? Why did you let him go? And Dr. Kaysen comes like barging in and like just immediately is like, what the fuck, Lewis? Why? I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe you've done this. Yeah. And, you know, just, and, and just like sends her out of the room with a, di- that will be all Dr. Lewis. He eviscerates her. Yeah. Like, God, I just want to punch him in his stupid face. <laughs> Ugh. Now, I have a question. Are the commercial breaks we get in Hulu probably roughly equivalent to what we would have seen on TV? I would imagine that they're exactly where they would be. Yeah. Because that's a good natural flow. Okay. Because we come back from this. Are you good with Yeah, no, okay. go ahead. Because we come back from this, from commercial, to Mark walking into a room with a woman crying and Mark bringing her tissues. And we can't really understand what she's saying. We haven't met this patient before. We're intrigued. It's dramatic. After what just happened to Susan, you know, what could be going on with this woman? And what's what? why is Mark taking care of her? And why is she in this dark trauma room all by herself? <laughs> and... Mark's like, well, there are options if, if you don't want to keep the baby. So, okay, we find out she's pregnant. We got that much information. And she goes, no, but I want this baby. And he's like, okay, well, that's great. You know, you can call and tell your husband, and I'm sure that he'll be excited. 
and she's like, my husband's infertile. And then Mark wow. just Mark just goes, "Oh, yeah, will that be?" And he just trails off and leaves. Nothing else happens with this woman. No other, nothing. It's just this random little snip of just comedic awkwardness, and then we go right back into the flow of everything, and we get Carter talking to Susan, and he's just so excited to brag about going up to surgery, and just like, yay. <laughs> I gotta go up and, like, and, like, scrub in, and oh my gosh, and he's like, do you think Benton will be early? And she goes, oh, yes, he's always super early. And he goes, oh, well, I better go up then. He just runs upstairs to surgery, to the OR, and then we swing back, we we go over to Carol, and she's walked into the room to check on the old couple that we saw earlier, and Doug is sitting in there keeping an eye on them and reading a magazine. And they have a very, very important chat right here. They're asleep. Oh, you scared me. Sorry. Their blood gases have normalized. Their CO levels are down. They're going to be fine. They're on a 2359 hold. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to check on them before I head out. Mr. Babcock owned a bakery. He started it the year they were married. He still makes a three-tiered cake every June 14th on their anniversary. Got lucky today. I think maybe they've been lucky every day. How in the hell did he get all that information? They're in a fucking coma. Like, how did he know what their anniversary is and all that shit? I think he the made neighbor. that up. The, the, you know, it's quite possible. Yeah, I guess. Okay, fine. I'm just a little... I think I'm a little tired of the trope of, like, using patient situations to further the... Doug and Carol melodrama like we did it last episode where we trivialized the woman's mental illness to you know further his lost love deal and now this one it's like you know they're in a coma and you know oh isn't it great old people are in love forever shouldn't we be in love forever and I'm just sort of like just shit or get off the pot (laughs) oh he he tried to take a massive dump and she shoved him off well yeah no I know but like and mostly at this point in the story the clear resolution is just Doug leave her alone but we know that's not where we're headed and no just means try harder Daniel just saying that's the message this art gives yeah but then after that we go over to precious baby Carter looking just so absolutely lost on how to scrub in like his hands aren't even sanitized, and he does, like, the whole, like, backing in and opening the door with your butt <laughs> thing that, that they do, and Benton's just looking at him like, fucking god, god damn it, dude. Like, <laughs> you haven't even washed your hands yet, you're fine. Yeah, he's like, Carter, you don't have to do that, you're not even sterile yet. <laughs> and, you know, Benton actually, very nicely, just sort of walks him through how to, how to properly sterilize, you know, the different motions he has to do with this, with the and how to scrub and they're like there's like a very specific way you need to do it so which you know germ control being very extremely important you know in any open procedure like they're doing so you know benton walks him through it and then carter is doing it on his own and just looks absolutely fucking terrified one two three (laughs) yeah he looks terrified to be doing to washing his hands he looks terrified to be going even in doing the proper timing on the butt door open and 
he's just uh he's just such an awkward baby and i love him <laughs> yeah it's just physical comedy is incredible in this scene like it's carter actually kind of steals the the scene a little bit and we get the first appearance of, I believe we get the first appearance of Shirley. I think this mm-hmm. is because we haven't really been in an OR before. That's, yeah. So, since, yeah, since the pilot. When Yeah, so Shirley, who I believe is there like the entire fucking series from now on. Yep, she is a lifer. Which, go her for that study of a paycheck. And who is the actress that plays her, Daniel? Dinah Linney. And this is far and away her most kind of notable role that she's ever done but yeah she's she's with us for all 15 seasons from she's going to be here the for the duration she kind of reminds me of wilson from home improvement where we really only ever see her behind the mask and the goggles (laughs) they let her uh open up a little bit you know so to speak a little bit later on like she you get to see her face a little bit more often but yeah these for early seasons and especially in this episode this episode i don't think you see her face at all you don't no, yeah, she just has the the surgical mask on and is just helping Carter get all of his shit together, you know, get his gloves on, which, of course, he fucks up and then get has to... smock. Yeah, get his, you know, all of his lovely stuff on. And then, of course, Carter immediately is just like, well, where where do I stand? Like, and just slowly but surely works his way over towards Benton and then taps Benton <laughs> on the shoulder and is like, you know, where... Where, where, uh, you know, where should I stand? I don't know where, I don't know where I could see things. And Ben was like, he was like, well, not right. He was like, well, not right in my light and don't touch my shoulder. And then, uh, and then not Anspa. Um, Morgan Stern. Yeah. The Morgan Stern's like, you just contaminate yourself. Surely get him out of here. And he just immediately whisked away. <laughs> like, and just unceremoniously dumped out of the room by Shirley. And then we have a complete unexpected 180 to Doug and Linda having a very intimate moment. Hard pivot. And it just very much frames the status of their relationship in this moment. Yeah, there's a whole extended, like, 30 seconds to a minute long of just them fucking... Probably 30 seconds. Yeah, but... So we will join them... After. With their, in this audio clip after the bang. Post-coital. Yes. <sighs> what was your name again? <laughs> <laughs> Someday, I'm going to believe that line out of you. What are you talking about? Can you remember the names of all the women you slept with? <laughs> no. Well, so, someday you'll forget mine. Well, you're assuming that we won't last. Well, yeah. <laughs> hey, where are you going? Oh, I've got the conference in the morning. We treated this older couple today. They were married 48 years. Ay, ay, ay. I don't know. They seem pretty happy about it. That's them, not us. How do you know? How did they know? Because if it were us, we wouldn't be doing this. We'd both be married, have daughters and Girl Scouts, be renting the Lion King. We would never have met each other because we would already be committed to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Don't you want that? Not now. Not with me? Same thing. <laughs> Why don't I want it? Because you are afraid. Most men are afraid. Of what? Responsibility, mm-hmm. aging, death. 
diminished sexual capacity. <laughs> See ya. We have so much Clooney chuckling in that clip. <laughs> but yeah, so so she fucks and runs and leaves him just like <laughs> just like, huh. So that's what that feels like. Yeah, she has a remarkably 21st century, I guess, attitude. You know, like that, that I feel like that's not a attitude from a female character that would have been seen as acceptable in a 1994 oh, no. 95 world. So I feel like it's kind of interesting again to see the kind of curve sometimes they're a little bit ahead of the curve i feel like it would have just been beginning to be more popularized like you have friends on you have seinfeld on and like that's the kind of shit elaine would get up to yeah that's so like it's it's just one of those things where i think it was just then becoming more modernized to where it would be acceptable to show that kind of behavior on tv and have a woman who was like no i'm about my career you're just fun so Okay. Anything else on Linda and Doug? Nope. No. She's hot. He's hot. They're hot. <laughs> Clooney. Yeah. Clooney. Can the Clooney laugh be our death jingle? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, for several reasons. But yeah. And then we go back to surgery, and Shirley is... Carter is standing far away, like by the wall. Shirley has drawn a wall around, or a, not a wall. She's drawn a line around him in marker on where he needs to stand. And it's like four feet away from the patient. And she just goes, don't move. <laughs> and then like they're playing some game about like using the f- last letter of a city capital to name another city capital with the first letter of it. And Carter jumps in and participates, which gets Morgan Stern's notice. And Morgan Stern is like, oh, perhaps your student should step a little closer. And then... Actually, actually, not to be pedantic about it, but actually, just because it gives Susan some shine. Because right before Mm -hmm. he goes up to surgery... Oh, no, that's the second part. That's what gets him invited closer, though, I feel like. No, that's what gets him to step closer. The thing that gets his hands in there is the answer from Susan. All right, fair enough. Because there's two stages to that. So Morgan Stern's like, oh, yeah, this kid's in the room. You know, step closer. But then Morgan Stern says, oh, do you know what... um, Something triangle is. What something triangle is, and I wish I'd written it down. And props to Susan, because before he went up to surgery, Susan was like, you all need to remember the three things. And she lists off three just what seems like a yeah. random ass. The common duck, the cystic duck, and the, the, liver. And the liver. Yeah, because they're doing... And so he, he he repeats it verbatim from what Susan told him. And Morgan Stern's like, all right, why don't you get in here and hold this retractor? And he's just so excited. So, so you were part right, Daniel, that, you know, props to Susan, but it's for that second stage. It's not for him getting to step closer and actually look. And props to Susan, too, for being the only, you know, leave it to the female character to be the only one not to uphold the stupid, you know, well, if I had to go through it, you got to go through it, too. Like, Benton does it, Green does it, but when it's her turn, when he's like, yeah, I'm going to scrub in on this big surgery that Morgan Stern is doing, and, like, I'm, I'm nervous, instead of being like, oh, well, good luck, asshole, like, she's like... No, she tries to help him. Like, he doesn't understand that he's being helped in the moment, but it ultimately comes back and, and helps him. So, you know, leave it to the fucking female doctor to have to, you know, be the adult in the room full of fucking children. 
pull the emotional labor. Yep. And speaking of Susan, uh, we have her and Mark, you know, making some eggs and just having a nice little conversation. So let's give that a listen. And so then she blurts out, he's infertile. <laughs> Susan, that's my best story of the new year. <sighs> Sorry, it's just been another incredibly hateful day with Kaysen. Yeah? Well, you buy into it. You can't let him ride you like that. I put salt on him. Shouldn't eat salt. What are you doing? I need more Tabasco. You haven't tasted him yet. Don't need to. Yeah, but if you haven't tasted him, you don't know if you need more. Are you going to have a problem with this? No. No, absolutely not. Saw Chloe wandering around the halls today. She was so calm, I hardly recognized her. Thanks, Mark. Sorry, that was stupid. Actually, they're moving to Texas. Ronnie's going to dig for oil, and she's going to have his baby, assuming it is his baby. Why don't they just stay here? Probably because I told her she should get an abortion. Why'd you do that? Because I think she should. Well, that's not very supportive. Supportive of what? My sister's fantasy of having a child? She thinks it's like having a pet, Mark. A little puppy who will follow her around and love her forever. Who won't care that she's an alcoholic, that she abuses drugs, that she's getting God knows what diseases from sleeping with every guy in the corner. Maybe this baby will turn her around. You don't know. Yeah. Like the one we delivered this afternoon? Maybe. I don't know. Well, I do. No, you don't, Susan. That's the point. None of us do. Chloe will have a chance. The baby will have a chance. Who are you to decide? I'm her sister. I pick up the pieces. It's still her choice. And one that I would support if she'd ever taken one ounce of responsibility for her life before wanting to take on another. I love my sister, Mark, but she can't even part her hair. So do I think she should bring a child into this world? No, I do not. So much to unpack here. First, I want to say she can't even part her own hair. Like, I don't know if that's meant to be a hyperbole or what. That's just an odd statement. Second off, holy shit, she said she was openly talking about an abortion in 1995. Like, that just seems nuts to me. And I know I've heard in the past from people who said that, you know, ER didn't get political until the later half of the until the later half of the show. <laughs> but we've already dealt with a tragic transgender character committing suicide. We've dealt with Susan talking about her sister having an abortion. We've talked about drug addict babies. Like we're already dealing. Uh, what else? Gang Mom, bangers. Mama Benton saying that Carter's people owned her people. Yeah, like. We've already hit a lot of major talking points that are still relevant today. So they're pulling no punches, even in season one. Yeah, there's there's just so much about this interaction between the two of them to unpack. I mean, I feel like both sides have a point. I do feel like if I have to pick a side in this, this particular dispute, I do feel like I side more with Mark, where I feel like Mark has the more correct opinion but that Susan also has a point. Like, I, I feel like Susan has a unique perspective on it being that she's probably been the sole person who's had to pick up the pieces for Chloe over and over again. So I, f- I feel like there is a certain burden placed on the person who has to be the like caretaker and the fixer all the time. But Mark is right too, that like, if you don't give her a chance, then she never has a chance. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of being a little bit, He might be being a little bit overly optimistic about it, but, you know, she still deserves that chance. 
I get that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just with Susan and Chloe, it's always such a complicated situation. And I think they do a really good job with that. I'm looking back on it now. I'm a little, I'm trying to think of the word. It's a little uncomfortable how much of a caricature they make Chloe where she literally cannot do anything right. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, she's a fuck up at everything. Like, she's a slut. She sleeps around. She drinks too much. Like, it, it just it just feels like it's almost a little too over the top. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, f- for how heavily they're using her in these early appearances, like, you know, it'd be one thing if she was like a Patrick who showed up once every five episodes or so. But she's not. She's here. He's gone. <laughs> she's here almost every episode since she first appeared. And so, like, those character traits become more and more prevalent the more we see her. So, you know, it would be much easier if she appeared less often to paint her with bro- with broad strokes because we would have a lot of, like, fill-in narrative stuff with her along the way, like, just in passing. But because we're ha- we're forced to see her be a fuck up and see all the different ways that she's a failure like it just kind of like you said it almost becomes a caricature like nobody could possibly be this bad and yet here she is but it's okay because i think after this is when she starts to get her life together a bit more i don't know after she has little Susie. yeah i mean there's a whole the the pregnancy arc with her is a whole thing and then i think chloe is a casualty of Susan in a way Susan the character you know because Susan's arc is so fractured because she leaves and comes back that Chloe's kind of a a casualty of that we never really get to see the final resolution I mean we do but it it might not be as satisfying as it would be if she had stayed uh, if Susan had stayed as a consistent character through the same amount of time as as the rest of the original cast just got to wait for that sweet, sweet third watch crossover. That's right. Once that third watch money starts coming in, then we're rolling. <laughs> weird. So two weird, like, technical things with this interaction but with Mark and Susan. Number one, that set that they use is a super, like, out of... I don't... As far as I can recall, we don't ever see this type of thing ever again where they're in, like, a kitchen and, like, eating. Like, they, they do stuff in the cafeteria occasionally, but, like... To see them in like the kitchen area making food and to, like that's a that's a set that we certainly haven't seen up until now and I don't think we ever see again. Um, so I thought that one was kind of interesting. And then I think right around the time that that Lewis makes the remark about Chloe not being able to part her own hair, which you're right, Lauren, that is a super weird example to go with. But they do this weird thing with Mark where they cut to Mark for a reaction shot. And if you look, it's mostly evident in the fork that he's holding. They do this weird slow-mo thing where they slowed his reaction shot down. And so it's only really evident in his fork because the light is reflecting off the fork and he's kind of moving it a little bit. So everything else is pretty static, but that fork is moving and it's moving at like matrix pace. And I watched it like two or three times back because I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. It's really, really weird. And the only thing I can think of is that they you know shot their reaction shots for this scene and when they got into the editing and post they must have seen that mark's reaction shot they wanted it to be like a beat longer like it just wasn't quite long enough to get the desired effect they wanted and so i think they just slowed it down like half and 
in hmm. probably back in like 95 standard definition TVs like nobody was going to notice shit like that but now that we're watching it you know 25 years later and we've got big you know HD TVs 4K TVs and stuff stuff like that kind of sticks out a little bit more and I just thought that was really weird so if you if you want to go back and see it just um, it's around the 40 minute mark is where this interaction takes place between Mark and Susan and like I said it's kind of right around the moment when Susan says that Chloe can't even part her own hair just thought it was interesting and I would also like to point out that Mark and Susan, neither one of them uh, turns off the burner that Mark was using. Uh, episode 13, the hotel burns down. We've already had hotel. a burn victim Hospital. in this episode. We don't need another one. But speaking of horrifying things, at, at the end of this, uh, Susan gets a page and has to head downstairs. And when we get down there, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Just the most fucking horrifying shot. Yeah, swing shot over to Kaysen, who's just standing there in the fucking dark of the doctor's lounge, like looking like a fucking serial killer. Like, (laughs) I just just thought that face with the with the ghost div from a few episodes. Susan, Susan, (laughs) Susan, just the troubling old men of Susan's life. But just, like, stone cold standing there. Is are his arms crossed? I forget. No. They're straight down. Daniel, can we get a can we get a video clip of this, uh, please, for this episode? God. Just this transition. Just plop. <sighs> we both yelled. It's not great. Yeah, we, like, we legitimately, like, screamed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but why is he mad, Lizzie, other than the stick up his ass? Well, turns out our good friend Mr. Venevic is dead. And why is he dead? Because it's Susan's fault, because she's a woman, and obviously can't do anything right. According to Kaysen, at least. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah, he chews her out on this. Vanderbeck is dead. He's like, well, you didn't give me his full history. That back injury was important. Why didn't you tell me? You're dumb. You can't do anything. A medical student should have been able to catch that. You can't even give history to someone who might have been able to see it if you couldn't. I'm requesting a full review and Morgan Stern has been made aware of the situation. I just assume that there's a little bit of sexism going on oh, yeah. in there just based on his age and his general demeanor in life, it seems. So, I don't know. I might be reading too much into it, but that's where I got the I'm a, well, a you're a woman thing from. No, because it doesn't sound like, yeah, he's a dick to everyone, but it doesn't sound like he has a vendetta against any of the other. Like, it doesn't sound like Mark has this kind of issue with him. Mark says, like, yeah, he's kind of an ass, but it never sounds like he goes after Mark like this. Yeah. Or goes after, you know, Benton or Doug. Or whoever. Right. But, yeah, that's just what I read into it. And, yeah, ending on that horrifying note. I don't know. I thought this is this episode is definitely still kind of we're still kind of mid-tier. Yeah. For me with this so far. I feel like we're still sort of kind of getting into this. We're kind of sl- in the mid-season slog, which you know, is going to happen in any series that has 22 episodes a season or 25 episodes this season. We're moving the chess pieces along. Yeah, and there's also an hour long each week, so we're getting there, but Maybe not quite as quickly as we'd like. Although, realistically, there isn't a, like, now I'm saying that there really isn't, like, necessarily an end point. Yeah. It's just following the lives of these people, but, like, I don't know. 
we're getting into some more significant stuff here very shortly, but I think this is a particularly lull, lully, if I can make up a word, like part of the season where, you know, we had those couple of kind of questionable tone episodes leading into the holidays that kind of left sour tastes in our mouth, you know, with, you know, all of the kind of aforementioned things we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, we had those two kind of back-to-back clumsily toned episodes, and then we jumped right from that into the holiday stuff. So there's not going to be a whole bunch of, you know, really deep, you know, meaty narrative stuff going for Like a lot of this stuff is very disposable. It's filler. It's, it's holiday filler because they know people are not really paying too close of attention. So they're saving all their stuff for after the New Year's. And I know we are going to get into some really good stuff here very soon. This season in particular, though, feels kind of bloated because of the 25 episode length. Like it is the longest season out of the 15. And it just takes us a long time to rev the engine and get going. But it's okay because next week's episode, we introduce one of my top five favorite characters in the entire series. So, yeah. Oh. Find out next week. Goddamn. (laughs) I didn't look ahead. I have been. Ugh. All right. On that little teaser, that'll about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter with the username at SetTheToneER. We are also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. You can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode, which we'll be getting to here in about, oh, 12, 13 weeks or so. And also a monthly bonus show uh, where we just sort of talk about whatever's going on for us at the moment with current events and music and games and stuff like that. Um, We are also, special note on that Patreon stuff, we are actually also going to start recording some of the movie commentaries that are at a little bit higher tier. I think they're like once we hit out hit like 500 or 700 or 750 dollars of monthly patreon money we're going to start doing uh movie commentaries featuring four movies featuring uh er cast members either in a lead or like one or one a role so we're very excited to start doing that so we're going to start doing some of those just for our own amusement building our catalog exactly so when so when you guys do unlock them we'll have a whole bunch ready and raring to go for you. So we'll keep you updated on patreon.com slash the tone podcast. Our theme music today was, uh, as always was provided to us by Andrew Edwards, of blue police box music and Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at Dan dot U that is Y O U dot E L. Uh, you can also find me on my other podcast, the popular courts with my co-host Jake Terrell. We take a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial I have no idea where we are in our episode release schedule by the time this comes out. So I will plug uh, Jake has been doing some long form uh, let's plays on our YouTube channel of and they're uh, wonderful. Yep. Of Dark Souls. He is going all the way through Dark Souls. Uh, it's, it's one man's slow descent into madness. He's cranking them out, too, because he's trying to get all this done while he's on his break from law school. So I think he's about 10 episodes deep at the moment. Um, only one of we're, we're releasing one a week. So you'll have a, a nice, nice little drip of Dark Souls content coming out through uh, through early next year. So it should be good. And Daniel, might I say your Blue Shell episode was wonderful. Oh, thank you. I mean, that was a good one. I was happy with how that turned out. I, As- guess I disagree with a lot of your points, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> 
And I also very much enjoyed your one-year recap, which congratulations on one year of the popular court. Thank That's you. really awesome for you guys. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, and Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my incredibly leftist and meme-leaning personal Twitter, at Lobob92345. You've been warned. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Random Gamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Uh, please join us again next week for episode lucky number 13. Uh, and have a great week and happy new year, everyone.